All right, well, we are continuing a very short, um, almost mini-series that we're doing. Last week was part one, this week is part two, and then um, we're moving on to something new next Sunday, and I'll talk about that a little bit more at the end. Um, but we're unpacking what our heart is as a church. And I said this last week, but um, as we prepared to move to Knoxville, we just spent a lot of time talking and praying. Um, there were several people back home that really fed into to who we are and what we're doing. There's a few families that moved here with us, and we just said, okay, God, who are we? Who are you calling us to be here in Knoxville? And so as we wrestled through those things, we really kind of identified four or five things that were just core things that were in our hearts um, that we felt like were part of our purpose in being here in Knoxville. And so last week, we talked about um, just the simplicity of being about Jesus and being about people. We're, we're here to love Jesus, to glorify him. We're here to live our lives in such a way that it's clear that he is king of our lives. We're not perfect by any means, but we are leaning on and relying upon him. And so we will worship him and we'll spread the good news about him. We're here to be about Jesus. And then secondly, hand in hand with that, we're here to be about people. That's what Jesus was about all the time. You know, Jesus didn't show up and build a big building. Jesus didn't show up and have this recruiting process of how do I, I get a bunch of people to follow me. He just, he just encountered people all the time, met them where they were, and he loved them. He touched their lives. He healed them physically. He forgave their sin. He gave them the ability to stop living in sin. He touched lives. And so last week we looked at the kinds of people that Jesus met and impacted. And we said basically he touched sinners, he touched skeptics, and he touched saints. He took all three and he met them where they were and he called them to follow him. And so sinners were forgiven and then given the strength and power to walk in newness of life. Skeptics, he spent time with them. He shared truth with them. He invited them to come and see. And so they followed him and they were won over to the truth of who he was. And even saints like Nicodemus came and sought Jesus out and discovered, even as, life, as right as my life seems to be, something's missing. I need to be born again. And so Jesus reached out to all of these people. And those are the kinds of people that we are. I feel like I'm one of the people on those lists, sometimes all three in a given week. I mean, seriously, like weeks where I'm just struggling and sinning and then I'm questioning and doubting and wrestling. And then certain days where it's like, hey, I think I got it together okay. And all of a sudden I'm trusting my own strength instead of trusting him. I'm, I'm those three people. And if I realize I, I have been those three people and I still am, it gives me a heart to reach others that are there with mercy, with grace, with compassion. And so we're called to be about Jesus. We're called to be about people. That's what we're doing. And so this morning, we're going to talk about some things that equip us to do that. And so our, our, kind of, our kind of mission statement, if you will, is equipping people to be passionate disciples of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to talk this morning about being equipped, and we're going to talk about being passionate and, and really um, connecting that word with worship. And so we're talking about worship and being equipped this morning. So as we get ready to jump into this, um, um, I kind of want to just share a little story. I tend to do that. Y'all are probably getting sick of my silly stories by now, but whatever, you're stuck with me. We're here. Manuel's with me. All right, awesome. So I want to take you back to an incredible period of time in American history known as the 90s. Anybody ready to travel back with me to the 90s? Okay, so we're going to go mid-90s, about 94, 95, and 
as a 14, 15-year-old kid just moving into high school, um, I, I lived in a town, I lived in Houston, Texas, and something exciting started to happen. In my, in my hometown, my favorite team and my favorite sport, the Houston Rockets of, of NBA basketball fame, they started to get really good. And so here I am, I'm a huge basketball fan, and my favorite team is getting really good. And thankfully, Michael Jordan decided to stop playing basketball for a couple of years, and it left an opening for a team to step in and try to win. And so I began to just watch, like, religiously the Rockets. And, Dad, I think you even took, took me to a playoff game, didn't you? Yeah, was that the game Sam Cassell was, like, a rookie, and he went off and scored a bunch of points in the fourth quarter? I mean, it was just, it was just fun. Like, I don't know if y'all have ever been in a town that won a championship, but people kind of get swept up in the emotion of that, and it's just a lot of fun. And so for me, um, I was a pretty active kid. And so I couldn't just sit and watch the games on TV or listen to them on the radio. I actually had to go ahead and act it out. I couldn't sit still. And so one of the memories I have is being in my bedroom, and I had one of those small little basketball goals that you'd like clip onto the door, and then you'd close the door. Are y'all tracking with me? And had like a little miniature foam basketball. And so, you know, it was great because I could jump up and dunk it in and I'm learning how to like lay on my back on the floor and try to shoot it in. And so I'm listening to the, to the Houston Rockets games on the radio and I would like act out what they're doing. Like I'm replaying the dunk that I just heard on the radio. And um, it was just this habit I had. I don't think I could ever sit through a baseball game. Baseball would be on and I'd have to go outside with my glove and a ball and start throwing it against the side of the house. I just had to participate. Now, that might sound like a really silly story. and What in the world does that have to do with being equipped and worshiping? But, but here's the reality. If we're not careful, what we do together on Sunday morning can very quickly turn into a spectator sport. I can come and I can sit and I can watch someone that sings much better than I do worship Jesus, someone who can play guitar, which I shouldn't even touch a guitar, play guitar really well, and I can enjoy the words that I'm hearing and the beauty of the music, but I can be sitting on the sidelines. Um, I can come and, and hear a message. And you know, I know I speak pretty often. We're going to have other people come and speak. Jimmy's coming next week. Um, but come and hear a message and go, man, that's pretty good. I, you know, okay, maybe I got something out of that. Or, you know, that particular one was, was a little boring. I was kind of just ready for lunch to get here. But we can just sit on the sidelines. And that's, that's not what we're here to do. And so when we gather to worship together, to get into God's word together, the idea is we are being drawn into something that we participate in. And as silly as my example is, my heart would be that all of us would have that attitude of saying, I'm so drawn into this, I can't sit still. I want to participate. And so when we talk about passionate worship, here's some things that we're talking about. Um, this is stuff that we've got on our website. If you go on there and look at what our heart is, and we've kind of defined passionate worship this way. We live to worship the true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ, with the entirety of our lives. See, worship just, it isn't just about singing on Sunday morning. It's really easy, especially in our Christian culture that we live in, to just associate good music and good singing with worship. Now, we are called to sing. We're called to clap hands, to raise hands, to bow down. We're called to play instruments and to dance. That might make some of you a little uncomfortable. We're called to do those things. That is a part of worship. But God calls us to worship with our whole lives. It's a way of life. And so when we gather on Sunday mornings and we're singing the words that we're singing, it's meant to do a couple of things. 
Number one, it's meant to point the way towards living a life of worship. We are seeing a reflection of how we can live our lives. I don't know if you've ever done this, but you know, it's, it's actually possible to go into your room and be alone and get out probably a phone now. I was going to see a CD player, but maybe you got a CD player still. But get out a phone and play some worship music and just have a time of worship with you and the Lord and be in his presence. We're meant to do that. It's possible to do that. You can be in your car and instead of guys listening to sports radio or being on the phone the whole time, like you could actually utilize your drive time to spend some time singing and worshiping God. This, this can become a way of life and not just a thing that happens on Sunday mornings for 30 or 45 minutes. So that's part of it. We're learning how to worship. But beyond that, it's not just singing that we can bring into our lives, but the truth of what we are singing. Letting the words of the songs that we sing sink in deep and, and really apply them to real situations going on in my life and say, God, how can I worship you in this situation today? You know, one of the powerful things about music is that it touches us. Like we feel it, it's emotional, it's powerful, it resonates. But another really important thing about song is that we remember things better when we sing them. We remember them a lot better. My guess is that when y'all leave here after church, there might be times where you find yourself humming or even singing something we sang during the morning. I bet it's less likely that you find yourself repeating over and over again a paragraph that I say while I'm preaching, <laughs> right? Probably doesn't happen at all. You might even forget completely what I've talked about within a couple of hours. That's something I learned really quickly doing youth ministry is like you just kind of get over the fact that it's not, it's not landing. All right, so, so I understand that. Music is powerful and the words that we sing stick with us. That's awesome. Let that truth sink down into your heart. Repeat the songs, sing them, memorize them. But then think beyond the emotion of how it feels and go, God, what is the truth? rooted in this song that I'm singing about who you are and about what will happen if I worship you in my life in this situation. And so come, be encouraged. See it point the way to how to worship him. Hold on to the songs that we sing and the truth that they're talking about. You know, there's also something powerful that happens when you gather corporately. There's something about singing together. The ability to kind of look around the room and go, we're in this together. I'm messed up. You're, you're definitely messed up. <laughs> I've got problems. You've got problems, right? Like we can look around the room and hopefully we're realizing we're surrounded by real people. I, I hope you're not coming in thinking, man, all these other people have it all together and, and I'm a mess over here and I'm, I'm without hope. The truth is we're all coming in as we are, as real people. Um, sometimes things are going great. Sometimes we're struggling. But we can look around together and say, hey, you know what? We're in this together. And individually, we don't have the answers. But you know what? We're singing about the one who does. We're reflecting on his power to change our lives and to touch our lives. And so we can encourage each other to keep taking steps forward because he's with us and he loves us. And I don't know about you, but there's days where I come in and I don't have it in me to sing. I just don't, I don't feel like my heart is there. My emotions haven't caught up to, I know maybe I should worship God today, but I don't, I don't feel like doing it. But when I'm surrounded by my brothers and sisters and they're pushing in and they're singing and they're worshiping God, it lifts me. 
Have you guys ever experienced that before, being in a worship service and like a couple songs in, your heart starts to shift and you're feeling more drawn into what's happening? It's the power of us lifting each other up through worship. And so there's power in corporately worshiping. A thing that goes hand in hand with that, and this is our heart big time, we, we pray for this, is that worship be a spiritual experience. We believe worship of God is a spiritual experience. Therefore, we are desperate for the leading of the Holy Spirit to direct our worship. That's our heart. Our prayer is that God's Holy Spirit shows up. And as, as leaders, I, I know Crystal and Alex well enough to know, they're not just going, what songs sound really cool that we can sing this week? They're not doing that. They're praying. They're saying, God, what's on your heart for us this week? What do we need to sing? How do you want to lead us? And so even in their preparation, we're inviting God to come in and, and direct us where we should go. And then during the service, God, if we think we're heading this way and that's what you've led us to this week, but if we're going to pause right here or go another direction, we're going to do that. And so you have to tell you, spiritual and emotional can often be confused and connected with each other. And I, I can think because, because a spiritual experience is happening, it can touch my emotions I can confuse them, but they are separate things. And one of the ways I know they're separate is that I can choose to worship when my emotions aren't feeling it. And I can choose to enter in and submit and say, God, I'm going to let you lead me right now. I'm going to let you invite me into your presence. And so I'm going I'm to sing this song. I'm going to give my heart to you. And you know what? Maybe my emotions will eventually catch up. Maybe, maybe you'll touch my heart and draw me in. Maybe you won't. Maybe I'll be struggling through this whole thing. But God, I can declare you as my king and choose to sing and glorify you anyway. Spirit-led worship. And then finally, our heart is that our, the music would be inspiring. And, and I, don't, I don't mean just in like an artistic way. I mean in a few different ways. Um, first of all, I do hope it's inspiring in terms of sounding good. We're actually called to use our gifts the scripture talks about that. The singers should sing. Hopefully the singers will sing louder than the rest of us so you drown us out a little bit. I'm willing to make a joyful noise, but it's probably going to be easier for everybody if we hear the singers sing. Musicians are meant to play. God calls us to use our gifts. If they're to glorify ourselves, we're off. If they're to glorify him, they're of value. And so I do pray that it's inspiring because we're meant to use our gifts to worship God. But beyond that, I hope it's inspiring because the content of what we're singing is the truth of what's written in God's word. It's inspiring because it's real. It's inspiring because it's truth. If I'm just singing words and lyrics and songs that sound kind of nice, I guess it can make me feel a little bit better about what's going on in my life. But if it's true, it has power to change my life. God has power to change my life. And so we worship with content, with art. And then finally, I've already kind of talked about this, but participation, participation. Being in a room full of people who are giving their hearts to God is inspiring. It's powerful and we lift each other up. And so those are some of the things we're talking about when we talk about passionate worship. Now, equipping people, what does that mean? Well, I don't think that we're walking out of the door of worship and into some other separate place now. You know, it's really easy to think of teaching as separate from worship. Like we did the worship thing over here. We finished that up. Okay, now we've moved into teaching and that's something different. No, no. When we are listening to the word of God be spoken by a person, when we're reading it together or on our own, 
when we're in conversation with fellow believers and encouraging each other forward in our walk with God. Those are acts of worship. Because what we're doing is we're saying, God, you're the king. I care about what you have to say. And I intend on doing something with what you have to say. Does that make sense? It's a form of worship to say, God, you come and speak into my life. And then I want to obey you. I want to walk in what you're saying to me. And so we hear the word spoken and then we step into it. See, when teaching and worship go together, when I have a heart of worship as I'm hearing the word of God get taught, that's where transformation happens. Because I'm letting truth be spoken to me, but then I'm saying, God, I'm going to receive that into my life and do something with it or ask you to do something with it in my heart. And the miracle happens and we're transformed. See, something significant happened um, early in early in the gospel. Um, an angel shows up and starts talking to Mary and he speaks some truth. Hey, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. You're going to have a child. Okay, but the moment of transformation happens when Mary says, so be it to me. She agrees with the truth that's being spoken in her life. If she had said, no, I don't want that. I'm running from that. We would be talking about somebody else, not Mary, that had Jesus. But she said, so be it to me. And that's the opportunity we have. When God speaks truth to us, we can say, so be it to me. God, would that truth happen in my life? And so a transformed life begins to, begins to be the, the picture of what happens when God's word is taught. Okay, so I want to take about 15 minutes this morning, and I want to look at a story and just see how this story kind of brings together some of the things that we've talked about. My guess is, if, if you're like me, when I just hear a list of things, it's hard for me to retain it. But I hope hearing a story, we can kind of hold on to this a little bit. So I need you to ask, ask you to do something with me. Have you ever heard of Christmas in July? Ever heard that before? Yeah. So I don't know if I'm really allowed to use this story because it's a Christmas story, and it's, it's actually August, but whatever. It's summertime. We're going to look at a Christmas story together this morning and hopefully see some truth that will encourage us. So Luke chapter 2, we're going to start reading in verse 8. And we're going to talk about shepherds in a field. And so here the shepherds are. They're, they're living their life. They're minding their own business. They're out in a field. It's nighttime. They're doing their job. And then something radical happens. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 8, it says, And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field keeping watch over their flock by night. It's just a very normal average night. And then something miraculous happens. Verse 9. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. Listen, when worship takes place, we move from the natural into the supernatural. When God shows up, when we are in his presence, our normal, everyday, natural lives get invaded by heaven. That's what happens when God shows up. Listen, worship isn't us just singing words. It's saying, God, would you come and would your presence be here? And God, would we be aware of your presence? And so here's the shepherds minding their own business. And then the angels show up. In fact, it's not just the angels. God's glory is there. It says the glory of the Lord shone around them. They are in God's presence. And what's their reaction? They're afraid. They're fearful. Now, God doesn't show up to leave us in fear. But I would say humility is a, 
is a big component in worship, recognizing who we're with. Whoa, God, I'm humbled by the fact that the creator of the universe would come and visit with me right here today. I get to be in God's presence? Are you kidding me? And what that humility leads to, though, almost immediately, it leads us into something wonderful. Verse 10. Then the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. When we enter in God's presence in worship, when he shows up and begins to speak, and the supernatural encounters the natural, he dispels fear. He brings good news, which produces joy. And listen to me, it's for everybody. It's for everyone. It's for everyone. When we gather, I'm not here thinking, oh, wow, look how that touches that person or affects that person. God, this is for me. You care about me today. You want to dispel my fears. You want to speak good news into my life. You want to produce joyful results in my heart. God, this is what you've come to do. And so what humility does, when I recognize God's presence is there and I humble myself before him, humility leads to what Jesus tells me is now the truth in him. I can go boldly into God's presence. I can go boldly into his throne room and receive the help I need in my time of trouble. And so I can move from humility to boldness. There's actually an order there. There's an order there. If I come in with pride and boldness and no humility, I'll be humbled. But let me tell you, it is much easier to choose to humble yourself. The scripture says, if you will humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, he will lift you up. He'll lift you up. And so we come humbly into his presence in worship, and then he invites us to stand up boldly, to not be afraid, and to know he is speaking truth and joy and life into our world. And so the story continues. These guys are standing there. The supernatural has invaded the natural. And in verse 11, it says, the truth begins to get spoken. And the angels say, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. Here's the beauty of what happens when we are worshiping God and we are spending time in his word. Eternal truth is being spoken, but it's being spoken in a specific and personal way to you. That's what God wants to do. He takes this large truth. Jesus has come. He's for everyone. But what is the angel saying to these shepherds? He's saying he's come and he's for everyone. He's here for you. In fact, he's so here for you. I'm going to tell you how to find him. Here's what he's going to look like. Here's where he's going to be. Here's what he's going to be wrapped in. Go check it out. We have an opportunity when we enter a place of worship, when we sit down to hear God's word, we have an opportunity to hear God speak eternal truth to us in a personal way, in a real, tangible, personal way. And the message is simple. Jesus is here for us. Jesus is here for us. If you hear nothing else as we're worshiping together, if you hear nothing else when we gather and get into God's word, I hope you're hearing Jesus is here for you. He loves you. He is present. He cares about you. And you get to come and see. And so this truth gets spoken, and then suddenly something amazing takes place. Verse 13 and 14. Then suddenly there was an angel, or with the angel, a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, 
and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The two results of truth being spoken into our lives in a personal, tangible way is that number one, God is glorified. And number two, we receive peace from him. If I will let him speak truth over my life, I will recognize how incredible and wonderful he is. My heart won't be able to help but glorify him. And then I will discover that peace gets brought into my life. Peace that can pass all understanding. That's what will guide me. That's what will lead me. That's what's available in him. Those are the results. Now, the story doesn't just stop there. It doesn't just stop with this heavenly encounter reaching earth. The angels show up. They declare this good news. The shepherds go through this whole crazy scene of being afraid and then hearing joyful good news. And then, wow, God's peace is available to me and I can go see this child. They hear all this truth. And then something happens. Verse 15. When the angels went away from them into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, notice they're working together here. They said to one another, let us go over to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. And they went with haste and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby lying in a manger. When truth is spoken, when we sing truth over our lives, we have an opportunity to say in my heart, let me see this reality hit my life. Let me choose to believe that this thing will encounter my real life. Let me decide that when I walk out that door, I'm going to invite Jesus to come and be just as real as he is when I'm singing with my friends. God, how is this going to touch me today? How is, how is this truth that you've spoken to me on Sunday morning going to affect me Monday morning when I walk into the office? God, how does this affect my real, tangible life? This is what James is talking about in James chapter 1, starting in verse 22. He says this, But be doers of the word, and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word, and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away, and at once forgets what he was like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. You know, just being around where truth is being spoken or sung does not automatically impact your life. Um, we have this kind of funny habit at our house of watching the Food Network. We got any Food Network fans in here? You know, we watch Food Network and, you know, we're sitting on the couch and there's all this amazing food being prepared and you know, there's something kind of disappointing about sitting there watching amazing food while you're eating a bologna sandwich. Like, have, have you ever noticed how often that happens, that the thing you're eating is nowhere close to what you're seeing on TV? All right? The fact that I'm observing this incredible food being cooked does not mean I am partaking of it. I wonder how often in our lives we are around the place where really good food is being offered and we're just sitting over there in the corner stuck with our bologna sandwich and wondering why it doesn't taste so hot. Am I willing to hear what God is saying to me? And am I willing to take hold of that and eat on that? Jesus said, God's word is like bread to me. He said that in the desert when he was starving. Tony, he was with you, man. He was on a diet eating nothing. 
Tony and I have been talking about a diet he's on this week. Sorry to call you out in front of everybody. Right? <laughs> Jesus, is, Jesus is out there in the desert eating nothing for 40 days. Satan shows up to tempt him, and he's like, listen, as good as that bread sounds, God's very word is what's bread to me. That's what's life to me. And if we would approach God's word that same way, if we would approach it like, God, you're speaking not just eternal truth. Yes, it's eternal truth. But it's specific to my life today. You want to talk to me through these words I'm singing on the screen. God, you want to talk to me through this message that I'm hearing this morning. Lord, you want to meet me early in the morning when I open up the word for myself and I look at it with my own two eyes and say, God, come speak to me today. When I'm sitting with friends and we're sharing the life of Jesus together, God, you're speaking. And I don't want to just watch it. God, I want to partake of it. I want to eat the feast that you've made available to me. We can be those who apply what we hear. We act on it. What if we had the same attitude as the shepherds that when we were done hearing about Jesus, we ran to see him ourselves? How cool would that be? It had massive impact in their life when they did. Verses 17 and 18, and then we're going to skip down to verse 20. So they show up, they come running, and when they saw it, when they recognized that this Jesus that had been talked about was real and he was sitting there, when they saw him for themselves, it says, when they saw it, they made known the saying that had been told them concerning this child. And all who heard it wondered at what the shepherds told them. And the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all they had heard and seen as it had been told them. See, the shepherds heard something, then they put it into action. They went to see it for themselves. And when they did, they took what they had heard and they'd seen and they started talking about it. See, this is what worship will produce in your life. If I worship and I rehearse and I sing truth and I let it sink into me, if I approach the word of God or the teaching of the word of God and I hear it and I receive it and I let that word come in and then I apply it, I'm going to watch something miraculous happen in my life. And when it does, I won't be able to help myself. I'll have to tell people about it. It'll be just burned inside of me. You got to hear this thing that God just did. You got to see the situation where he came through in my life. You got to recognize it. And we begin to talk. And what happens is we start the ball rolling for somebody else. I worship, I respond, and then I begin to talk about what's happening in my life. Somebody else now has an opportunity to hear. And then they get to decide, am I going to hear and come check out this Jesus? And when they draw near and they check him out and they start to worship, and they start to act on what they're hearing, and it snowballs. This is what the Word of God is talking about when he says, go make disciples. Hey, you're going to follow me. I'm going to do some cool stuff in your life, and you're not going to be able to help it. You're going to tell other people. And that ball is just going to get rolling. And so this is what he has invited us into, hearing, acting, and then speaking, and then watching what that produces in our own life, and then how it begins to affect others around us. That's what happens when we live as passionate worshipers who are being equipped with the word of God to live a transformed life. That's what we're invited into. And so I want to close with this thought. You know, Mary did something really, really cool. In the midst of this whole scene, it was actually something that happened to somebody else. She'd gone through her own journey and her own story, and now she's watching it affect other people. These guys just show up. I mean, this is crazy. These random shepherds show up. And so here she is and she's watching all this. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 19, it says, Mary treasured up all of these things 
and she pondered them in her heart. This is what James was talking about in James 1, that very last verse, verse 25. I want to read it one more time. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. If we will treasure up what God wants to speak to us, if we'll ponder it, if we'll consider it, if we'll hang in there with it and persevere in the hearing and begin to watch it get applied into our life, a blessing comes with it. It's the blessing of a transformed life that begins to touch not only us, but the people around us. That's what we're invited into. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your incredible heart for us. Lord, I thank you that um, you are in and of yourself worthy to be worshipped, and that's enough. But God, I thank you that you also made us to be worshippers. We're designed for that. And we are at our best when we are worshipping you passionately with all that we are. God, we're designed to be in your presence, to know you, to follow you, and to worship you as God. Jesus, I pray that you would do such a work in our hearts that we would more and more be defined as people who passionately worship you, who are being equipped by your word, by your truth, and really by your presence in our lives. So our lives more and more are being transformed by you. And as we worship and apply what we sing and apply what we learn and see it affect our lives, and God, as our lives are transformed, Lord, we would be more and more about your business of loving people well of loving sinners and skeptics and saints. God, may we individually be like that. Lord, corporately, as a body, Grace Chapel, would we be like that? And Lord, I, I pray this prayer over your entire kingdom. God, I pray for all the different pockets of Jesus' community right here in Knoxville. Lord, that this town would be filled with people who worship you with all their heart, who are being changed and impacted by the truth of who you are, and who are learning more and more how to love everyone they encounter with your love, oh God. That's our heart for our city. That's our prayer for our own lives and for our families. God, that's our prayer for this church community. Do it in our midst. And God, I pray that we would do our part, that we would be active participants in your kingdom. We love you and we worship you together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.